You're listening to the Central City Assembly podcast. We're dedicated to sharing content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus for the good of our city and helps you grow in your love for Jesus. So enjoy this episode and may you be filled with the love of God the Father. church family. My name is Pastor Kai. If you don't know who I am, welcome to our church family. Um, And you you probably already know this about me, uh, but if you don't, I am a bit of a tech junkie. Um, I love technology. And I know how much that makes me sound like Kip from Napoleon Dynamite, if you're familiar with that reference. Um, But I don't care. And it's true. I love all things technology. I mean, it amazes me the kinds of things that people can think of in their brain and turn into an actual tangible object that can be used in real life. And some of the amazing things that people come up with. I love reading about advances in technology. Uh, I'm easily wowed and wooed by new gadgets and and devices, uh, especially when these advances in, in new technologies, they make life better. Right, like, like cars, one example, right? Cars have hands down made life better. Now, everything I know has its costs and its benefits, um, but I think the majority of people would say cars have made life better. Do you agree? I believe you do. Um, and, and even with those costs uh, that are associated with cars, like the impact that they do have on the environment, um, people are actively trying to advance car technology to make it even better, right? Thanks, Elon Musk and people like that. Um, and if you took a poll and asked people if they would rather go back to the days of horses and horse-drawn carriages or just walking everywhere, the majority of people would say no. Okay, and I, I know, again, there are outliers. Some of you are like, oh, that might actually be okay. But when you have to pick up horse stuff all over the place and it gets on your feet, you, you, you will appreciate cars much better. Um, but there are those outliers who would be like, no, I'd rather have horses. Uh, but uh, the majority of people would pick a car over a horse hand down. Right? The, the days of horses, they weren't bad. They too had their costs and their benefits. But when you compare the two and ask what's better, cars win. Okay? I mean, for us, it's hard to even think of life without cars. Right? That's how much they've impacted the world. Um, And I can imagine a time in the future when people will look back on our time and say, remember when we used to drive cars? Remember when we had to drive to the gas station? Do you remember gas stations? Right? And and we had to uh, spend ridiculous amounts of money to fill up our cars with this toxic, highly flammable substance just to make them move. Right? Can Can you even imagine that? Our grandparents were crazy, the things that they did. I can't even imagine going back to driving a car. Life is so much better now that we have whatever we'll have in the future, 
the Hyperloop. If you have heard of the Hyperloop, it's a real thing. Go look it up. It's pretty cool. Um, or teleportation. I hope somebody's working on teleportation. Um, or whatever we'll use in the future for transportation. Um, we won't even imagine, won't be able to imagine what life was like with cars. Technology always seems to move from good to better. From good to better. All right, think about audio. Reel-to-reel -reel audio was good. It was a breakthrough, but then records were better. Then eight tracks were better. Then cassettes, then CDs, and now digital streaming is the best right now. Uh, the flip phone, if you remember those, it was good, but now we have something better. Windows operating system, it was, it was good, I think. Um, Android was good, uh, but now Apple is and always will be the best in every circumstance. That's just fact. And, and when you go from good to better, when you go from good to better, it's hard to imagine going back, right? Why would I ever go back to In-N-Out when I've had Whataburger? It's so much better, right? Or, or when you do go back, when you do go from an iPhone back to an Android, let's say, you know, it happens. No one's perfect. Everyone makes mistakes. There's, there's forgiveness by the blood of Jesus. And so everyone makes mistakes. But when you do that, you quickly realize, why the heck did I go back to this dumb Android phone, right? Um, you repent and you, you turn back to Apple, right? Take me back to the Apple. It was oh so simple, so easy to love. I know there's a little conspiracy there with the apple and the garden apple, who knows. Anyways, um, and, and in life in general, I think we tend to want to follow that same trajectory, right? We always want better in life, right? Better physical health, better mental health, better relationships. We want a better home life, better work environment. And we often make choices in our lives based on our desire to move from good to better. My job there, it was good, but they offered me something way better over here. My old house, man, it was good, but my new house, it's better. And even in society and in culture, there is this desire to move from good to better. Now, what is better and, and how we get to better is always a topic of heated debate, um, but that desire is still there, right? Better healthcare, better school systems, better roads in Tucson, please, better access to resources, right? We want progress, we want better, and we don't want to go backwards, always moving forward to better. But there's an area of our life where I think um, we don't value the trajectory of good to better quite as much. The, the good to better trajectory in this area of life, um, it kind of gets set aside and, and often we, we're content with just staying at, at good. Or, or maybe we don't even believe that we can achieve better and so we try to get to as good as we can get and then we're okay just staying in that place. Or maybe we're so focused on, on moving from good to better in all areas, other areas of our lives, that we neglect to also move towards better in this area. And this area of our lives that I'm talking about is with our, our souls. And when your soul is well, the world is well. It has such a huge impact. 
Our, our souls, get this, they're also on a trajectory from good to better. Or the way the Bible says it, the way Paul says it, is that our souls are on a trajectory from glory to glory. Right? From one degree of glory to another. But this glory trajectory, glory to glory trajectory, it requires some effort and some care on our part. It is not automatic. In fact, what we see from Scripture is that when we don't continue to move from good to better, from glory to glory, or when we neglect the care of our souls altogether, then we start moving backwards. Or we move from good to worse. And the author of the book of Hebrews, um, he saw this complacency and this even backwards trajectory happening with a group of Christians. And so out of love and, and care, he wrote this letter offering a solution. And in a nutshell, the author of Hebrews, he spends this entire letter saying, if you want to continue moving from good to better in your soul, which affects the entire world around you, if you want to continue tra your trajectory from glory to glory, then you have to keep your focus on someone better. You have to keep your focus on the greatest glory there is, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is better. And so today, we're starting our new series called Better. Everybody say better. Better. Right, we're going to spend several weeks, I don't even know how long, uh, but several weeks working our way through the book of Hebrews, where the major theme of the book is that Jesus is better. Uh, and if you want the world, your community, your family, your life to be better, then focus on Jesus, because he's better. Right, and that's the title of the message for today, Jesus is better. Amen. Let's ask God to just continue leading us and guiding us um, as we jump into his word this morning, okay? God, we thank you that you are so good to us. God, we thank you that, that you are better. You offer better to us. And so, God, we pray that you would help us to see today how you are better and how following you, Jesus, is better than following any other way in this world pray that you would soften hearts right now. I pray that you would open hearts and minds and eyes and ears that may be closed to you right now. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you move and work inside each one of us? And may your truth just penetrate the, the parts of our lives that need it the most. We thank you that we can ask that, and we thank you that you are eager to answer and provide. We thank you, God. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. All right, go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. And as you're turning there, say, Jesus is better. If you believe it, say, Jesus is better. He's better. Turn to the book of Hebrews. Um, Hebrews is one of my favorite books in the whole Bible. Uh, because when it comes to the craft of writing, I, I have a degree in creative writing from the University of Arizona, so I look at these things. Uh, but when it comes to the craft of writing, Hebrews is so eloquent and beautiful. I mean, listen to the first four verses of chapter one. Listen to what it says. It says, long ago in a galaxy far, far oh, wrong one, sorry. Um, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, 
whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Wow. Isn't that beautiful? Eloquent. Right? It almost sounds like something out of like Lord of the Rings or something like that, right? Or the beginning sequence of the first Lord of the Rings movie where the elf queen is like talking about the, that's what this sounds like. It doesn't sound like the Bible, right? The, the, the care that the author put into this writing, it grabs your attention. It makes you want to know more about this son, this Jesus, and that's the other reason why I love this book so much, because the overall theme is Jesus. It is all about Jesus, who he is, and what he's done for us. And when I read the book of Hebrews, I know Jesus more. I fall more in love with Jesus, and I want to follow him more. And so next to the Gospels, right, where we read the, the biography of Jesus, if, if you want to just bask in the awesomeness of Jesus and just marvel at him, then I recommend hanging out in the book of Hebrews. It's so good. Now, um, we're going to get into the, the deets of Hebrews. That's what the kids say, right? The deets, the details, um, the nitty-gritty of this book. Right now, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, uh, the author does reference himself, but he never gives a name. And we can be pretty confident that the author of Hebrews is a he because of the way in which he uses the Greek language. And, and when he does refer to himself, he uses the, the male forms of the Greek words. And so some people, they, they say that the author of Hebrews, it must have been Paul. But we know that Paul has a reputation for saying, hey, I wrote this book, right? He put his name on things. So it, it probably wasn't Paul. Uh, some say it could be Luke, the author of the gospel and the author of Acts. Um, some think it could be one of the other early first century church leaders like Philip or, or even Apollos. Um, so we can only speculate, uh, but I like to speculate that the author is Apollos. That's just me. Um, because we learn from the New Testament that, that Apollos was a gifted teacher of God's word. He helped lead and build churches, and he was also a second-generation Christian. What do I mean by that? Well, first-generation Christians are the ones who walked with and actually saw Jesus. The first ones who said, Jesus is the Messiah, I'm going to follow him. And the author of Hebrews later on, he notes that he came to know Jesus from those people. He never saw Jesus, he only heard about him secondhand, which would make him a second generation Christian in this context. Uh, we also know that the author of Hebrews is a Jewish Christian. Right? He is well versed in Old Testament scripture and law and Levitical systems of cleansing and, and sacrifice. He knows more about Judaism than a Gentile would know or even care to learn about. And so the author of Hebrews, he writes from a clearly Jewish perspective about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And this is very important. Um, the audience of the book of Hebrews are also Jewish Christians, hence the title of Hebrews. 
Um, Hebrews, it, it's not just a language. Um, it's the classical word used for Jewish people. Uh, in Hebrews, it means those who crossed over. I like that. Those who crossed over. And it's in reference to possibly when they crossed through the Red Sea or they crossed over the River Jordan. They did a lot of crossing over. Um, the reason we are confident that the author of Hebrews uh, is a Jewish Christian because of his vast knowledge of Judaism is the same reason we believe that the, uh, the audience are also Jewish Christians. Why would they care about the Old Testament and all of these uh, sacrificial systems and things like that? And so as we go through the book of Hebrews, um, you can expect some deep dives into Jewish traditions and religious practices. Um, we're going to make, uh, we're going to take a closer look at a bunch of Old Testament scriptures because the author of Hebrews quotes a ton of Old Testament scriptures. Um, and here's the reason why I start with all of this. Uh, because if we don't understand the Jewish perspective that the author and the audience are coming from, then we will not be able to fully appreciate this wonderful book. I'm not saying you can't appreciate Right? I, before you know these things, Hebrews is just a good book. But having this knowledge makes you appreciate it so much more. And even though um, we have a, a Jewish Christian author writing to a Jewish Christian audience, this book, book is still very much for us Christians in the 21st century. Okay? Um, so knowing as much as we can about who wrote Hebrews and who Hebrews was written for is important uh, but what I would say is more important for us today is understanding the history of what's unfolding as this letter is being written and as it's being read, okay? Um, and let me just say, for, for the rest of our time, we're not going to dissect the book of Hebrews. I'm not even going to give you a ton of scripture this morning. This is going to be a history lesson. But it doesn't make our time together any less holy. You hear what I'm saying? Um, there's a lot of times we just jump right into the book, we don't know what's happening, and we miss the importance of the book. All right, so uh, this is a holy time this morning as we look at the history of God's people and the history of the early church. Amen? Okay, um, because it's important to look at this history because the, the Christians that Hebrews is addressed to, they live in a time of incredible instability. Incredible instability. It was said of their time that it was a season of earth-shaking turmoil. Um, not like a physical earthquake, but societal, cultural, political, and global shaking. Uh, it was a, a pivotal time in history. And I believe, and you probably agree with me, that we are experiencing something similar today. Right? We live in a pivotal time in history. And so let's talk about what was going on during the time Hebrews was written. All right, but first, when was Hebrews written? Okay, well, this is another uncertain thing. The author doesn't give us an exact date, um, but there's enough, um, you know, contextual evidence. There's enough evidence from other writings around the time frame uh, to give us an approximation of when this book was written. All right, for example, uh, the earliest reference to the book of Hebrews and another writing is from one of the early church fathers named Clement of Rome. And he references the book of Hebrews in one of his letters, and it's dated. Does anyone want to give a, a guess as to when it was dated? What was it? 
47 AD, okay. Anybody else want to give a shot? 80 AD, okay. All right, um, he references it in 96 AD. So still within the, the first century of the church, okay. Um, so Hebrews, it was written before 96 AD. Also, the author of Hebrews mentions our homeboy, Timothy, okay. The apostle Paul's uh, protege and spiritual son. The same Timothy that first and second Timothy um, were addressed to. And we know from Paul's life that he first met and discipled Timothy around the year 50 AD. Okay, so that means Hebrews was written between 50 AD and 96 AD. We're narrowing it down, okay? Um, there's also a lot of talk in the letter about the Jewish Levitical sacrificial system. The offering of animal sacrifices for the cleansing and for the forgiveness of sins. And these sacrifices, they took place in the holy city of Jerusalem in the temple. That's where sacrifice had to happen, right? One use that was brought up in the, or is brought up in the book of Hebrews, is that some followers of Jesus were wanting to go back and participate in the Levitical system again. And we'll talk more about that in a moment, right? But the reason this is all significant is because of the year 70 A.D., 70 AD. In the year 70 AD, Rome completely destroyed the city of Jerusalem and they tore down the holy temple, completely gone, demolished it. And so if, if, and with the destruction of the temple came the end of the Levitical sacrificial system. And so if you've ever wondered, man, I read about animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. I don't see Jewish people doing that today. Why? Well, it's because there is no temple for them to practice these sacrifices. And so there's no sacrificial system at all today. Um, the, the temple in Jerusalem is still uh, just a pile of rubble, essentially. And so it makes no sense that Jewish Christians would have this temptation to practice in Jewish animal sacrifice again if there was no temple, if there's no sacrifice happening at all. All right, so that narrows our time frame. Right, from before 70 AD to, to 50 AD. Uh, but the author of Hebrews, he also mentions later on that it's been almost 40 years since the crucifixion of Jesus. And the crucifixion happened, we believe, around 30 AD. And so almost 40 years would bring us to the mid to late 60s AD. And that's what a lot of Jewish, or a lot of scholars, um, that's when they pin the time frame of the book of Hebrews, between 60 and 70 AD. Pastor Kai, you are boring me, get on with it. Okay, here's why this is important. Because when you look at the time frame, 60 to 70 AD, when you look at the historical writings from other people from that time, like, like from first century historian Josephus, who's a, a, a Jewish person, not a follower of Jesus, but he was everything down. Right, you learn that the years 60 to 70 AD were terrible times for Jews and Christians in the region of Judea, where Jerusalem is. Jerusalem, during that time, all of Judea was still under Roman control. And the Romans were becoming more and more oppressive towards people's religious liberties. A series of attacks by the Romans against the Jews even took place between 64 and 66 AD. It was, it was awful. And so you can imagine religious people, Jews and Christians alike, right, thinking in their minds and how their world was being turned upside down and them trying to figure out how do we fix this? 
Because we're constantly, all of us, we're constantly trying to move from good to better. So you can imagine him asking this question, how do we make this all better? And the Jewish people's answer to making it better was in the form of revolt, of rising up against the Romans and trying to take back control of Jerusalem and Judea, their promised land, it was theirs. And so there was this call during this time for greater Jewish nationalism, right? And greater adherence to the Levitical sacrificial system. And if you didn't show your Jewishness, that you were a patriot, then you were considered an enemy. And Jewish leaders and organizers, they carried out terrible persecutions against people who didn't show or prove their Jewish nationalism, right? So this put, you can imagine, this put many Jewish Christians in a tight spot because as followers of Jesus, they knew they didn't need to practice the Levitical laws and rituals anymore. Jesus, their Lord and Savior, was the final fulfillment of the Levitical law. So, so they didn't practice the, the Levitical law like their strictly Jewish brothers and sisters did because it went against their faith in Jesus, in the gospel. Right, but this meant that they became targets of persecution. Right, so the, the first century Jewish Christians in Jerusalem and in the region of Judea, they had a choice. Do we keep our faith and hope in Jesus as our final and ultimate sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins? Do we continue living under the gospel rather than under the Levitical system and risk persecution? Or do we go back to following the Levitical laws and avoid persecution. And you might think, well, well, can't they do both? But no, they, they can't. They can't do both. Because sacrificing animals for the cleansing and the forgiveness of sin, it would be a denial of Jesus as the perfect and final sacrifice. Doing both would be like saying Jesus' sacrifice on the cross wasn't enough. And now when you look back at history, we see that Jewish revolt and uprising was not the answer to making the world a better place. Jewish nationalism did not make things better. Strictly adhering to the Levitical system did not make things better. It only made things so much worse because Rome came in and wiped out everyone and everything that they could. It was a terrible, terrible time for Christians and Jews during that time. And then when you read passages like Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 24, Jesus himself, he was clear in his warnings that if the Jewish people, if Israel rejected him as their Messiah, and if they continued in their desires, which eventually became plans to revolt against Rome, then judgment through the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem would come. Jesus prophesied that this would happen. And for Jewish Christians to align with this Jewish nationalism and to fall back into practicing the Levitical system instead of trusting Jesus was to fall under that same judgment. And this is what the author of Hebrews is trying to address in this letter. And what we'll see is that the author, he takes three pillars of Jewish faith. And what we'll see is that he takes these three pillars and he compares them to Jesus. That's his mode of argumentation is by comparison. He takes angels, he takes Moses, and he takes the Levitical system. 
right? All important to Judaism at that time. And he shows how Jesus is better, far superior to all of them. Right? He shows his, angel, or his, his, his author, audience um, how angels, Moses, the Levitical system, they were all good. They're all ordained by God and they had their purpose and their season. But now Jesus is better for all of eternity. Because even God is moving his people from good to better. And so by showing how Jesus is so much better, the overall question he leaves with his readers is why would you ever go back? Why would you ever go back? Why would you settle for those good things when you can have so much better in Jesus? Why would you deny your namesake, right? You're the Hebrews, those who crossed over. He's saying, don't go back. Jesus is enough. And so again, what does all of this have to do with us today? Why do we need this context? Why do we need the book of Hebrews today? Well, like I said, like the Hebrews, I believe we also live in a pivotal time in history that will greatly impact the future generations, especially uh, as followers of Jesus. Because there is a trembling and a shaking happening, not just in our country, but all over the world. Things in culture and society and politics, they are all incredibly unstable at the moment. And it kind of feels like everything could fall apart at any moment. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. I believe there is hope, hope in Jesus. But this is the reality that we are all facing right now. And I think that you sense it too. You know it too. And what's even more is that the world knows that we are living in unstable times. Everybody. Right? And because we're, we're always trying to, to move towards better, everyone is asking the same question. How do we make the world a better place? You think about the goals of, of humanism and science and social justice, right? The goals of all of those have been to make the world a better place, right? But by their own standards and by their own perceived notions of, of, of what all of that, that looks like. And so what we see happening in the world right now is that the world is setting up their own laws, their own guidelines, their own moral systems to decide who is righteous and who is good. Right, what we hear in the media all the time, on the campus, I'm sure, is that support this cause, right? vote for this person, follow this movement. Renounce your privilege and your status. Reject all of the ideas that are in contradiction to ours. Do all of these things, then you're good. You're righteous. You can save yourself, is what they're saying. But if you don't, you're against us. You're an enemy. You become a target of cancel culture, the modern day persecution. Right? But can we honestly say that these standards of, the, of righteousness that the world is making up, is it truly making the world a better place? I can't say that. Now listen, I think there are some aspects, not many, but there are some aspects of humanism that are good. Science is good and important. Social justice is important. But there's someone better. And his ways of making the world a better place are far better than the world's ways. 
Jesus is ultimately better. Jesus is enough for everything the world faces in the 21st century. Do you believe it or not? And so like the Hebrews, I believe we're faced with the same choice. The overall question that the author of Hebrews had for his readers is our question to ponder today. Why would you ever want to go back? Why would you ever want to go back to the world's ways of thinking when we have the ways of Jesus clearly set before us? Why would you ever want to settle for good or just as good as it can get when we can have better in Jesus? Because Jesus is better. Are we going to fall and submit to the world's standards of what it means to be righteous, or is Jesus enough, especially for the 21st century? And so my hope is the same hope that the author of Hebrews had. And Annette, you can come on up and start playing. My hope is, is the same hope that the author of Hebrews had. My hope is that through Hebrews, we will see who Jesus really is. We'll be amazed and in awe of what Jesus has done for us. And we'll come to that glorious realization that Jesus really is better. He's better. He's our savior in this present moment. And he's the hope for our future. He's accomplished all there is, all that we need in his life, his death, his resurrection to be made whole and righteous again. That's Jesus. Or just what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter one, verses three and four again. Just marvel in these words, marvel in Jesus right now. The author says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the power of his word. That's who he is. What has he done for us? After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Church family, Jesus is better. He's better looking forward to just unpacking how he's so much better. Let me pray for you. Would you just bow your heads for a moment? Take a moment to just reflect on everything that we've said. Holy Spirit, would you just infiltrate this place right now? you push all other voices out, all other images out, and Holy Spirit, would you help us to see what you want us to see this morning? Help us to hear what you want us to hear this morning. Church family, I believe that there are some of you in this room or watching online, and the world is trying to grab a hold of you. is showing you this picture of what righteousness looks like, of what goodness looks like. It's trying to pull you in and say, do this and you can save yourself. Church, family, do not believe the lie. That way is not better. Jesus is 
better. And so right now, right where you are, make a decision to put your focus, your hope, your desires all on the person of Jesus. Make a decision right now to say that the world cannot offer me what Jesus has to offer me and choose to follow Jesus this morning. I don't know what that looks like specifically for you, if that is you, but believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you. Believe that you can still hear from the Holy Spirit today and ask the Holy Spirit for discernment that when the world shouts and says, this is the way, that you'd be able to hear how it's not the way and that you'd be able to follow Jesus instead. Make a decision today. Jesus is better. God, we thank you for what you want to do in and through us. We thank you that you've given us the book of Hebrews, and I believe it is a timely book for us in our society, in our culture, our world today. And I pray that you would help us to see how it is so. Jesus, would you reveal just how better you are in our lives? God, aside from the messages that, that we bring and the words that we read, God, in our individual lives, from our waking to our sleeping, Jesus, would you reveal yourself to us and show us that you are better? Jesus, would you move even in the most unlikely of places and the unlikely of things and show us that you are better? Jesus, I pray that you will meet people even in their sleep, in their dreams, that they would see the radiance of the glory of God. the exact imprint of his nature. And we would be in awe of who you are and what you've done for us. Again, Jesus, we thank you that we can ask that. And we are thankful that you are eager to show us that you are better. So we say, so be it. We say, amen, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, So here's some, some questions that you can reflect on. A lot of questions today, but here, here's how to kind of narrow your focus. Great questions that you can just take a, a snapshot with your phone. You can write them down quickly or take a screenshot if you're watching online. But use these questions to, to guide your focus towards Jesus this week. That's, what, that's the most important thing we can do every single day. How do we focus on Jesus? So four questions. Why do you think we tend to put the care of other things in the world above the care of our souls? Number two, in your own words, why do you think Jesus is better? Number three, how has Jesus made your life better? And number four, what will you do this week to keep Jesus at the forefront of your mind? Thank you for listening. If you are blessed by this episode and would like to help us create more content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus, would you consider giving a financial gift of any amount today? Whatever you give will go towards building the kingdom of God in the lives of people all over the world. Thank you for your support, and we pray many blessings over you.